0: Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Podcast. It's a podcast for people kicking butt, saving lives, and leading teens in veterinary medicine. This episode is our first episode, our, our first real episode. We did a little teaser thing, but this is This is legit. This is our first episode, and it features my friend, Dr. Dave Nickel, who I am so thrilled to have. It's me, Dr. Dave, and the incredible Stephanie Goss, and we are going to go into deciding when it is time to invest into a struggling team member to coach them versus when it is best for everyone to let this person go, to liberate him or her, to go and find a more happy, productive place for them to be. That's what we're talking about. Let's get into it.
1: And now, the Uncharted
0: Podcast. All right, guys. So we are here with two of my favorite people in the world. We are here with Stephanie Goss. Stephanie is a longtime friend of mine. She is a practice manager of a four-doctor practice and she is also the Director of Business and Community Development in Uncharted. Steph and I work together all the time, and she has incredible insights, and so I'm glad that she's here. And one of my dearest friends in the world, the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Dave Nickel, is with me. Buddy, thanks for doing uh, this first episode of Uncharted Podcast.
1: Always, always an immense pleasure. Ah. Always
0: first.
1: So, th- <laughs> like but the just- test. The test. <laughs> Crash test dummy for everything. Oh,
0: absolutely! Well, <laughs> I gotta tell you, you know, for going out the first time, there's no one I would rather test pilot this with than you. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, Dave, um, gosh, we've been we've been friends ever since. I mean, honestly, ever since I was a baby vet. Uh, Dave uh, lives in uh, he lives across the pond. He's in the UK, but he's also practiced and owned practices in Australia. He, um, honestly, I just I just tell you how I know Dave. He is—he's uh, a brilliant doctor and strategist. He is a marketing guru. Uh, there's the reason Dave uh, is here today is there's simply no one that I know in vet medicine who's better at performance management than Dave Nickel. It just there's not. And so uh, Dave is the guy that I talk to about performance management stuff, and that's what we're going to get into today. Dave is also the founder. Of uh, the VetX program, and so vetex is a uh, gosh, it, it does—it's a lot of different things. It's it's a skills training sort of program community. Uh, it focuses a lot, really, sort of two different thrusts. One of it is, is is being a better leader, and again, they the performance management stuff uh, to to really sort of nail that down. And the other one is for, is for associate veterinarians that are sort of struggling to find their niche, to find their stride in vet medicine. And it's really about sort of helping retain them and get them into a place where they're going to be successful. So that's VetX. And uh, it's definitely something you should look into if you're looking uh, for leadership training, skills, thought development, associate veterinarian development. Those are the types of things uh, that I think about when I think about VetX. Dave, is that is that pretty, uh, does that sound pretty comprehensive?
1: That's pretty good. It's, you described it more succinctly than I can. So, um, so well done, you.
0: <laughs> awesome. All right. Cool, guys. Here we here we go. Let's let's get into this. All right. So listen. Um. He, so I've got I've got two things. I, I want to lay these two cases on the table today, and then I want us all just to sort of tear them apart. Okay. So so let me let me give you two different cases of employees in the vet clinics that have come across uh my desk in, in the in the in the past so number one is one um so i have a friend uh, she's a practice owner and she's got a veterinarian that's an associate that works with her and um this is actually sort of a smash up of a couple of different instances here but um this veterinarian as my friend says just doesn't get it she's uh she's slow and it's not about being slow as far as turning over the roofs the thing that sort of is, is really worrisome here is she's slow. Like she's already seen 30 minute appointments and she's, she's taking an hour, you know, she's always running behind. She's pushing the staff to work through their lunch breaks. But the big thing that's problematic here is when the owner goes in and talks to her, she just doesn't seem to care. Like she, she just kind of blows it off. And she doesn't understand why there's a problem. And she's not really interested in sort of changing what she's doing. So the slowness is a thing. The other part is, she she just says and does this stuff that's that's inappropriate. So uh, an example would be after after a euthanasia when the pet owners are there and they're they're upset, she'll sort of lean over and say, "Hey, um, I know you have another dog. Did you know we're having a special on heartworm prevention this week? You know, it's, it's, yeah, oh, it's not, not good. Yeah, flush." Yeah, and, and then just, you know, saying you know,
1: Andy, this, this is easy <laughs> performance management so far. Where's the challenge here? <laughs> I know we, we should be talking about recruitment here, not performance. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: well, so yeah, okay. So, so, so those are the types of things, and it's just it's it, it's comments to the staff that make them feel bad or whatever, you know, and it's not malicious. Don't get me wrong. This is not a nasty person. She just doesn't. Get it. But a lot of the pet owners like her and you know what I mean? And, and oftentimes she's she's good to be around. But anyway, so that that's number one is we've got this veterinarian, generally a good vet, not particularly interested in changing the fact that she's really slow and she makes bad social choices. And she says these things and it's not a daily thing, but it's enough to cause problems. So that's the first piece I'm going to put on the board and say, let's talk about this veterinarian. The other thing I want to talk about is um, Dave and I were in a situation. It's been a couple of years, but sort of stuck with me. Uh, We were in um, we were doing a a seminar together and this practice owner says, oh, I've got this front desk person. She has no common sense. She has no common sense. And people will call and she won't let them talk to me even when it's an emergency. She says no. Or if they come in and uh, we're not supposed to take appointments after 530, but we haven't seen anything all day. And then the pet owner shows up at 531 and it's an emergency. She just turns them away flat and just no common sense at all. And that was her complaint about that front desk person. So I want to put these two different employees out and say, let's use these as examples. The question for today is, how do we know when to just cut our losses and let someone go from the practice and say, you're not you're not a good fit here? How do we know when to coach this person and try to work with them? And then are there other options besides coaching and firing and how do we decide with them? So cool. So let me put those things out. Uh, Steph, mile high view, what are you thinking about when I talk about these types of employees?
2: Oh, man, um, I think everybody has had the second Employee at their front desk at some point in time. So I think that that's a really common one as a manager. I know that I've had that person in multiple clinics, um, and that's actually uh, the kind of person that I could get into working with. I I had the same gut reaction as Dave to the first person, which is like, mm, is this really a coaching conversation, or <laughs> or do we just need to talk about recruiting here? Because is this really something you can, you can work with? Um, but I, I think that there's a lot of coaching opportunity um, for sure with the second person, but potentially with the first person as well. I don't know, Dave, what was your first reaction?
1: Oh, I was, I was, I was reaching for the flush handle. Immediately. <laughs> the eject, the ejector seat depending on, on the exit route from your particular facility. Uh, and that is, that is to be fair, a mashup of two people. And, and I think, I think, if you, I think it might be harder if you split those two things out a little bit, um, because I think we all have had experience, particularly of um, sometimes a younger doctor. You know, this is a ubiquitous problem in young doctors who do everything much, much slower. Yeah. um but yeah i agree i think i think i think in some ways the second problem to me is a systematic issue the first problem it, uh, without our surgery is uh just a i guess a, a straight red card off the field and we hired badly type issue um but that's too easy that's too easy i think we should subdivide it a bit and make it a bit harder because right. we, we really it's that line isn't it where when when do you keep going because we like we're, we're we are the, are we not just the patron saint of absolutely lost causes like we'll keep pumping that <laughs> chest for I, I don't know about you but i never know when to stop pumping a chest i feel like when do you call it and feel like bad and and probably the answer is right before you even started thinking about doing that because it was already so bad you were never yeah. going to get it back you know but but we're, we're like that with people as well like we just don't want it we don't want to let go <laughs> we you don't like, want to give up no, exactly, and and I tell you, where perfectionism is an absolute nightmare. I mean, if you thought it was bad in being a vet, where almost nothing is, you know, perfectionism is an illusion in the, the best of times. But if you thought for one second that it was bad w- with something as disciplined as animals, try that when it comes to the discipline of managing other human beings and stuff. Um, you know, that that becomes an absolute disaster zone um, because we're so we're so hard to actually manage in any meaningful way shape or form aren't we like if you show me a, a perfect human being in a perfect situation then i'll show you a pink elephant flying overhead so so yeah let's <laughs> let's let's look andy you've got to make it a bit
0: harder for us here <laughs> well, let's, let's let's start let's start with the second example first and then we'll wade into the we'll wade into the vet and maybe, maybe all we'll right that's harder. good so let's start off with this so um the presenting complaint here we've got someone who quote unquote has no common sense uh they're 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 turning people away uh at 5:31. they're uh they're not you know they're not uh, hearing the concerns of the pet owner and uh, they're not making good decisions about what needs to get seen or what not what doesn't need to get seen they're nice people but they're they're just not making the right calls in the mind of the pet owner what are, what are you guys thinking when you look at this case
1: Well, Steph, do you want to, you want to grab that one first? I've got a couple of thoughts. I can follow up if you want or ladies first.
2: Sure. Um, oh man, I, I think that that one is, um, it's something that I've heard more than once in my career and, and that I have dealt with. I think that, um. There are people, and Andy can attest to this, because um, I am one of them, who need to know the that need to know the rules. They need to know what game they're playing. And mm. there are a lot of people that operate really well inside of a system. And so for them, it's very black and white. If your doors open at eight, you open the door at eight. Not five minutes earlier, not 10 minutes later, but at eight o'clock. And um, we operate in a world... Uh, in veterinary medicine, that is very gray. And so for the people who things are very black and white for it, they need you to help them create a different system so that um, it's not that they don't have common sense. It's that they are struggling to know when to make that judgment call. And so I think it's our duty to help them figure out where is it a gray zone versus a black and white and, and give them a safety net. Do, do you, what do you think, Dave,
1: I'm down with that. I absolutely think this is a this the system issue, you know, it's it's this is fundamentally about understanding what shape block you're putting in, what shaped hole and and also what yeah, I think the operating system in which all your components fit is absolutely essential. And you know, for me, this sort of person and I re- I remember I get cold sweats at even thinking about this whole conversation that Andy was stuck in was like a broken record. Yeah. Um. And if if I rem- recall rightly, the the person may may have been intoxicated as well. Um, and had a, had a couple of glasses of wine at the bar. So, so. But I and I also. You know, if all I can do is relate this to this sounded like the sort of person that could be your you know and a massive asset to me. I mean I, I I think for a lot of roles in practice and a lot of things in business generally, having a cookie cutter approach that is a systematized approach where you know what's meant to happen makes a lot of sense. You know it works for Disney, it works for. Um, Marriott it works for big brands around the world and it can work for us in veterinary medicine too Um, and it helps to take away some of the the vagaries some of the, the, the things that cause absolute chaos in our in our businesses but you've got to set you've got to set you've got to first of all know you've got somebody who is like that and needs needs to follow rules we call them procedural people so that's the first thing and then you've got to give them procedures to work within and if you don't than the work within whatever procedure format they've they've been possibly harsh word but bullied into in the past by getting told off as to what you thought was right at the time and that's where you end up in that situation of you know you tell somebody off for something and so that becomes their modus operandi and yeah. it, and we have a show over here called fault. Towers. I don't know if you've ever seen it, and there's a there's a character in it called Manuel, who is um, portrayed rather cringingly as as you know he's Spanish and and um, and he doesn't know English very well. So what he does is he, he he blunders through his job and makes mistakes until the owner, who's played by John Cleese, and is called Basil Fawlty. Eventually, something hilariously bad goes wrong and 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 with, with amusing consequences and 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 Basil Fawlty clips Manuel round the ear and tells him to not do it again and apologise to everyone because he can't speak English. And of course, Manuel learns that that is the way he should be doing his job, which is not an unreasonable thing for him to take away. And so the next thing that comes along in the episode is the counter moment to that where the absolute opposite thing that he's about to do is what's required. And the thing that he's just been taught to do is going to result in ever deepening moments of terror for, for the customer and ever moments of hilarity for the audience. And of course, that's what happens because that's what he understands and he's procedural and he follows that. And Basil Fawlty just doesn't know that that's the case. So... so I love procedural people. I'm always trying to hire procedural people because most of the roles within a veterinary practice are served well by people who can, who are aware of what a procedure is, will follow that procedure. And most businesses, even something as seemingly complex as veterinary medicine, you still have the 80-20 rule happening, whereby 80% of the stuff that walks in your door is fairly predictable. Um, you know, and and you can you say that about your vaccination appointments. You can say that about your um, you know your choice of what anti-parasite medication you're going to use it's it's cookie cutter bits across uh, a whole range of activities that if you work them all out you're teaching people then they can put those bits together themselves like too much trouble so um, I absolutely agree I think that's that's just putting somebody who's procedural in and leaving them in a very options based environment where anything could happen which is basically a disaster
0: yeah no i I, I... I love that. I, I think you're exactly right. And, and just, just hit on this really clearly. You know, people who are not procedural people don't understand procedural people, I I think. I mean, without without really diving into this and thinking about it and starting to have these sort of experiences, they do. They It seems like people who don't have any common sense. Like, that's really the the flag word for me. Um, oh, no common sense. You just maybe don't think the way that, that they think. Stephanie said, you know, it's black and white. And that's, and that
1: that's that, that, true. That's hitting the nail on the head there. You just don't think the way they think is the yeah. perfect description.
0: So the takeaways for me, you know, for these situations is always, 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 if you're the leader, if you're the owner, if you're the manager, if you're the, if you're the associate vet and you're working with your technicians and you're the leader in that scenario, um, Whenever you start to have these sort of headaches or you're having these personal problems and, and you know and you've got this behavior with the people you're working with, the first most productive question is what's my role here? And like, what is my role here? Because I have complete control over what I do and how I how I behave. What is my role here? In the case that we're talking about, it's the person if you're making the procedures and you told this person, this is what you do, 530 is the cutoff. Do not let them come in after 530 you can't turn around and get mad at them when they turn somebody away at 531 that's just that's just not how they work um and so you're putting them in a position to fail so what what's my role here and then the last thing is you're you're right like what are your options if you've got this procedural person are there new rules that we need to give them is there can we more clearly define the structure do we give them sort of a decision matrix you know how do we sort of build this thing out they're gonna focus force us as more of uh more sort of um uh Dave and I are both kind of improvisers and uh, sort of go with the flow. <laughs> I'm
1: I'm I'm laughing because the way you phrased the last sentence, he said, if, if it wasn't immediately obvious what which if Andy was options or procedure, he said, what are my options if I'm dealing with a procedural person? A hundred percent
0: true. hundred percent true. That's how I that's how I see it. That's totally how I see it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, <laughs> so, so in my brain, I'm totally looking for, like, what are my options to, to address this, this issue, make this person successful? Ultimately, that's what we really want. Um, people like this are going to force people like me and Dave to be more procedure focused and oriented and to build systems into our practices, which, thank God you know, we need. And so this is uh, this is the reason Stephanie, and I work so well together. She's got a lot more of of the procedure based mindset. And so when she and I tackle a project together, she's the type of manager I want to have because I'm the idea guy and and the sort of the vision person. She's very much the structure and process person. When we get together, we can make something that's that's beautiful. But I've got to recognize the need for the processes and, and, and see that she's an asset, not a liability because she doesn't have this You know loose rope sort of approach to practice so what are this can we work with this person do we modify our structures the other thing you know the other option i would say we have here and tell me if you guys think this might be a person if i really cannot come up with a process or a procedure that's going to accomplish what we need to accomplish this may be someone who needs to move to a different seat on the bus or we may need to modify this person's job description because if i'm putting them in a place where they're going to have to make these uh, judgment calls and they're, and they're going to have to get into the shades of gray. Maybe they're not the right person to be in the spot. Am I being too harsh? What do you think?
1: Oh, I would, I would, I would think, I think that's a little harsh because the airline industry would have no staff whatsoever. Um, <laughs> same banking industry. Actually, I'm not so convinced that the banking industry has a particularly strong hiring code. But I'm, I'm absolutely certain the airline industry hires. You know, when I when I had my clinics in Australia, I looked for people who'd worked in two businesses. One was one was Qantas, uh, which is the world's safest airline. Uh, because a great customer service and they were so proceduralized. You know, did you ever get on a plane on the right? Like, of course you didn't anywhere in the world. And if you did, you should probably think about whether you should get on that aircraft or not. Um, you know, it's safe because of its procedures. And the other place was Bridge Climb in Sydney, which was, a, you know, you, you climb up the Harbour Bridge. You, know, you take, you know, semi drunk, uh, you know, jet lag days tourists and walk them up one of the tallest structures in Sydney. Um, seems like a really dumb idea from a safety perspective. Actually, it's, it's one of the most busy, cranking, well-run operations I've ever witnessed in my life. And if you ever go, it is worth the money just to go. I mean, the view is spectacular. The bridge is amazing. But just the way that that business operates is insane. So I think there's a space on the bus. Just, you know, procedural people are going to suck at making procedures. They like to follow them. The great news for you and me, Andy, is like operations-based, options-based people are actually usually very good at making procedures, and then the procedural people can always tweak them um, when stuff goes very south. But for us, there's a a missing element here I think would help as well, and particularly this example, and I think that is emotional intelligence as a leader because ultimately you can make all the procedures to cover all of the eventualities like okay somebody comes in at 5:31, and you can make a flow chart like is there animal you know does it have a leg hanging off is it is it trailing blood in from the car you know is it is it agonal gasping if so don't turn away like that's that's really easy to you know that's what we did in our clinic like we triage questions four of them and based on the answer you could give something a score and you did not have to ask a vet permission for that now as the the owner, if somebody follows that and you still don't like it, I would suggest it's not the person on the front desk that's in the wrong seat on the bus. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's us as the owner slash leader that needs to look ourselves and go, actually, they've done everything we asked. We just don't like it because we wanted to go home and see your kids or go feed our horses or see your kid, you know, watch the fav- yeah. favorite TV show or something. And that's just the rules of the game. So, um, you know, I, I, I think... I think I love procedural people. Like maybe maybe that's coming across too strong there, but um, you know, and, and I would I would be screwed without them. Absolutely screwed. Oh yeah, totally. So I'm not I'm not I'm, I just can't diss on my procedural
0: people. Steph, you got anything to add to this?
2: Yeah, I I agree with Dave, and I think that as a manager, I have been in that middle seat um, far too often, where I have. The procedures in place. My my procedure people at the front desk are being rock stars and they're following the rules that we have laid out for them. And yet they still feel that I hear I hear my team say, or I've heard my team say, well, we get in trouble in quotation marks, right? Because what what does the trouble what does the trouble actually mean? But the reality is is that a lot of times the vets, associates, owners, what have you, are are still getting. Um, upset or frustrated. um, And the perception to the front desk team or to the tech team is um, that, that they're in trouble, that they've done something wrong when they have just followed the rules that have been laid out for them. And I think that Dave hit the nail on the head, which is that there has to be some level of ownership as a leader where you say, I don't have any right to be frustrated. They're doing what I asked them to do. They're doing a good job at it, and maybe I need to look a little bit at myself. And as a manager, I'm often in that position where I have to have those hard conversations with the, the doctors or the practice owners to say, "Hey, they're they're doing a great job, and we have to take a time out here for a second and look at what are we what are we doing? What are we what are we modeling? What behavior are we modeling for them as leaders?" Um, If they feel like they're in trouble for doing what we ask them. So I think that that's definitely a piece of the puzzle. And Andy, when you were sharing the story about this vet who, who was talking about that, that was actually the first thought that ran through my head was, wait, is this person looking first at themselves at all? Or are they just trying to put the blame onto their team because their person sounds like a, a rock star that I would love to hire at my front desk, <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, I, w- I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted the name of the person.
2: Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I want to talk to that person. <laughs> well,
0: I, th- I think the, the reason this case stood out in my mind was just for that very reason is you've got someone who's here getting bashed by the management. Right. And, and when you really look at it with a critical eye, you go, oh, buddy, I think – not only is this person adequate, you may have a real gem here. You may have someone if you put them in the right position where they can really just be—they can be your rock. Because you know, the last thing I'll say about process people—and and again, like I've surrounded myself with process people because they make me wildly effective in a way I would not otherwise be. Um, <laughs> It's true. The, you know, the the last part is that you know they are stable, reliable. You know how they're going to behave in any situation. Really, you know, once the the situation is there, you can depend on them to do what what what's supposed to be done. And that's not necessarily true with options people. And so you gotta. Um, I just I just love this case because it, it really is about understanding the different personality types in your team, seeing Th- something that that this. Uh, owner obviously saw as a weakness and say, "Oh no no no, that's not a weakness. That's a strength when used effectively. Uh, that that's what that's what we're really talking about here." 100%. Cool. Well, let's uh, so let's move on and and let's talk about this vet a little bit. So uh, so I said I made it too easy. Let's talk about the um, let's talk about let let's talk about the easy part first. So Dave, you were like, "This is super easy." <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was sharpening my cleaver in the background.
0: Yeah. tell me how you made your decision. Like, because there's a lot of people who are tolerating a lot of bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, okay. And, and so where is that line for you? That's what I want to know.
1: Okay. Well well, you know, the and the line's like any any line. Like I think this is probably a jaggedy line. It's not a nice straight line and, and there's there's inputs to this line that for me um, there's really four areas that I think I would look at, which determine the answer to the question, when do you work with somebody and when do you, when do you give up? And, and maybe, there, maybe there's five. So let me, let me run through the, the four solids. And then the, the one is probably more of a temporal relationship, um, and to the others. And so the first thing is, and this, this, this is actually a, a fairly fractal concept. So it works at the macro level, um, and at the micro level so so the first thing is do they do they get what you are trying to do as an organization and do they get how this job needs to be done in order to help the organization meet its needs so that's the first thing do they actually get what the hell's going on and 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 are they clear partly that's do they get it but partly there's the other half of of this broadcast conversation that is did, have you ever broadcast that? To, have they ever told them? Like, Or did your did your job ad look like absolutely everybody else's in the world and therefore it just looks like another vet hospital? And so there isn't a very clearly articulated why beyond the, you know, we're all here to save animals and hell does if we do anything but kind of thing that is ubiquitous in veterinary medicine. So so do they get it? The next thing is, do they actually want it, right? So we're, we're actually pretty good at hiring people and or worse promoting people into roles that they actually don't they're not particularly suited for so somebody is rumbling along cranking out great work high earner for your practice um and they're they're showing signs of promise and then we do something dumb like promote them to be a manager um <laughs> which they epically have suck at and have no idea how to do but ego Will often say, "Oh, yeah, this is a great idea. It's a great opportunity for me." But do they really want it? Uh, you know, jury's out. Okay, so so do they get it? Do they want it? And then the last the last couple are, do they have capacity in terms of time? So are they able to? commit enough time to doing it or is this person just so hideously overtasked? They're like they're like a busy person that can't say no and <laughs> it's just gonna run on that treadmill and you're cranking it up and up and up and eventually they're gonna do that thing in the gym where they lose their footing, fall face down on the treadmill and go <laughs> shooting off the back into the wall behind or take out the weight stand or the yoga class or something awful like that, right? So do they have the time? And then do they have this the capacity in terms of capability? Have they got the skills to do that, that do this role? Um, so, so there's there's some things in there that are behavioural, and then there are some things in there that are um, output based and skill based. And so I think there, there's two halves there. And then the last part, which is the temporal part, is like how long have you been trying with this person as well? Okay, so let's let's parse a few situations through this this set of filters. Okay, so the person who uh, in your example. Um, is not responding well. Doesn't seem to care when the owner presses them. Isn't making any effort to improve despite the the, the feedback. And let's assume it was good feedback. Sidebar. That's a huge assumption. We'll come sure. <laughs> back to that. Um, and they're just not engaged. Well, the answer just do they get it? Seems pretty clear. Like they don't sound like they get it. They're not clear on what the behavior, you know your expectations of their behavior are in the workplace. And they're certainly not responding to you as a leader in the way that you would hope. So there's a first cross right there. Um, do they want it? You know, and, and, and that's a question. You, and sometimes you don't know until you sit down and you ask somebody. And, and I have had several occasions. And uh, I've, you know, I've got a picture of uh, a former um, team member in my mind right now. Who struggled with some change, some fairly big change that was happening within a, a practice that I'd taken over, and got to a point, and, and actually, we, we got to this point a couple of times where I had to sit down and say, Look, this is where things were, this is where we're going, this is where we're at. Would you prefer to be back there where things were, where it was awful, or do you want to go to the promised land over here? Like, make your choice. Do you want it? Um, And, you know, and the answer for a short while on on, on two occasions was yes. And eventually she decided the answer was no, Mm -hmm. which was great. Easy. She stepped off the bus. Um, No harm done. Um, So so do 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 people actually want it? And and so then you get into the the situation of, okay, I have 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 I now set somebody else up to fail? Because am I asking them? to do something they clearly don't have capacity to do. And I find myself in situations where I've been either um, promoted into roles, I've looked for roles, but I haven't really thought through myself, and neither is the person putting me into that role, what that looks like and and what a day in the life looks like when you start doing that. And pretty quickly you can get into burnout country doing that. That situation, you have to say when you parse that, that scenario through, you would say, should you coach and work with that person? Absolutely, yeah, totally, because you've set them up to to struggle, maybe not fail, on, but but definitely to struggle, and so adjustments can be hugely effective in that situation. And if they don't have a skill set, then of course, okay, somebody's slow. Let's say a new graduate is a perfect example of this. They don't really have the skill set. Um, they probably get veterinary medicine. They probably want it bad. They just don't have that skill set. So they're slow and they take time to do everything. So, um, but what we tend to do is rob them of opportunity to do very much because they just take so long. And so they they, they continue to struggle and eventually that eats into their self-esteem and then they they start struggling on there. That impacts on their, do they actually want it anymore? They can kind of still get it, which just makes them feel bad, but do they actually want it? And they question themselves right. about that. So coaching and, and, and probably more mentoring that situation, to be honest helps immeasurably so i think when you start throwing examples at at these filters then you start to get some fairly clear criteria for your decision making which i think is what you always need to make good decisions you need clear criteria and but let's say you've got that new graduate who you're, you're 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 mentoring and they are getting faster that one's easy but what about the one that you're mentoring and it's going nowhere and they're just slow and, and they're you know they don't seem to the stuff you're teaching doesn't seem to stick, you know again that's harder but I, again I think you've got a clear set of criteria and and are you doing somebody any favours by keeping them in a role, you know is they might not be in the right seat on the bus they might not even be on the right bus maybe this is somebody who's much better suited to the the detail work of academia for example but they're just checking out general practice. Um, As leaders, I think we can always have a positive impact on the outcome of the person by having very honest conversations based on an assessment, you know, assessment grid like this. If somebody doesn't get it, it's like, hey, listen, you don't seem like you get it. Um, We just can't have that around here. So there's no hard feelings, but this isn't going to work if you don't get it. So let's have an honest conversation about that. You know, same with you want it. And then similarly, with your your coaching, mentoring, or training conversations that happen at the other end of the scale. Um, So I've found that little set to be super useful for me. And your example there basically tripwired out in almost all of the categories. Right. So that was easy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That totally makes sense. Steph, what are your your thoughts here? What would you add to this?
2: So – I, I totally, I totally, um, hear what Dave's saying and, and I agree, um, with, with all of it. It's super smart to have, um, as a leader, you know, kind of, uh, Dave called it the the grid that you kind of throw the examples against and, and see, is this, do, do I need to have a conversation with this person? Um, but also lets you look at, Um, pointing the fingers back at yourself and say, what is my accountability here? What have I done to support this person? And have I, you know, have I laid out my expectations? Have I actually had that conversation with them? Um, Whether it's an easy conversation or hard conversation and said, this is my expectation. Um, And I think that's, that's a place where in veterinary medicine, unfortunately, um, A lot of us as leaders really struggle significantly with laying out clear expectations for our for our people, um, because we are uh, every day in the middle of the sinking or swimming. And so we just want people to swim. Um, But we don't we don't take the time to pause and say, are we doing anything to help them swim or are we just, are we just helping them think because we put stones in their pockets? Um, so so I, I think having that grid is, is super helpful, but it's funny, Andy, when you, when you first started giving the example and you were talking about, um, you know, the associate who uh, you're doing half hour appointments and maybe they're taking upwards of an hour and um, they're just super slow. My actual gut reaction was, okay, there's a lot that you could do to try and work with the situation and i started immediately questioning well what what have we done to try and help um when you got into the second part um, about social cues and you know when you have that person who's talking to the euthanasia clients and is um, completely insensitive to the social cues that one's a lot harder because it involves the kind of coaching that makes a lot of us uncomfortable because it's a very personal conversation about, is this, is this, are these really social cues that this person is missing? And how do I, how do I have that open and honest conversation with them about what my expectation is? Um, Those, that, that can be a really hard conversation. But when you started with that first, that first part, my thought was, well, you know, have I given them the, the team that they need to be successful? Can, can we, um, can we support them more on the back end? Can we give them more people? Can we change the structure of our workflow? Are there things that we as leaders, as a, as a practice, can do to help support them? Because maybe it's not so much uh, just that they're slow. And I, like Dave, immediately was thinking of a new grad. Um, you know, I have a newer grad in my practice and she's a phenomenal doctor. She's very thorough. She has great client conversations and her appointments run long. But there are things that I can do as a leader to help stack the deck so that she can take the time that she needs. So we're not cutting her off from the experience of learning and we're not pointing her towards that that no man's land that Dave talked about so painfully that a lot of new vets get to, which is that they are then... Um, feeling dejected and like, well, do I really even still want this? Do I, do I care about it? There are things that we can and should do as as leaders and in, in our practices, supporting any any associate, any any veterinarian, but particularly new grads, to to make it better for them. Um, but the part that that counter to that that stuck with me was, do they just not get it? And that's where I would ask the the question too. What what does the conversations that you've had with them look like? Did you tell them, you know, one time, hey, I need you to be faster, and that that's it? Or has there been a series of conversations? What does what does the coaching model look like? And I think um, that that's an area that we have a responsibility to look at as leaders in terms of um, knowing knowing that we all want to have successful practices that we all want to um, we know that a coaching model works it's been proven scientifically we see it in other uh, business models we want to emulate that but I don't think we spend a lot of time figuring out well how do we actually coach people how, how do how do we do this thing that we know we want to do perfect no
0: I, I complete so I completely agree um let's so let's let's make this uh, a little bit more a little bit more fun let's split it i'm gonna split these behaviors apart and so uh so let's say we've got the saying inappropriate things and we've got the the sort of the slow uh slowness in the exam rooms i i think that what we've sort of laid out here in our conversation is is uh is a beautiful i think it's a beautiful sort of framework of how to address these things you know um i love it there's a book uh called traction which uh which which i use a lot for um strategic planning type coaching and stuff our, our uh, strategic planning course and uncharted uses uh uses that book a lot so traction the questions that they lay out to put your people through are number one do they get it number two do they want it number three do they have the capacity for it and i think that that's really just exactly what we laid out yeah. here in some degrees is does this person get it um <laughs> Do they want to be here? Do they want to be successful? And then also, do they have those just those abilities, that capacity? And so when we start talking about um, the the veterinarian that says inappropriate things, she doesn't get it like that. That's that's the first question. She doesn't get it. So our conversation should be, um, why don't you why don't you get it? Is there a chance that we can help you grasp it? And if the answer is no, she doesn't get it. She's not going to get it. That that's a deal breaker. I I think for me, would you guys all agree with that?
1: Uh, for me, yeah. I think anybody who doesn't get it is poison um, yeah. for your business. So, I mean, and that's that's very easy to say, isn't it? sometimes a little harder to work work out. But yeah, in principle, I would agree.
0: Right. So so do they get it? Do they want it? Do they? I mean, honestly, are are they punching the clock because they got fired from their last job and they need a paycheck and that's it? If that person is, is having problems and they're not motivated to be there, they don't want to excel, that may be the end of the road for them. And the last one is capacity. Are, um, are you putting this person in a position where they simply do not have the skills or the ability to do the job? Those are big deals. I, I love the question. Have I set this person up to fail, which which Dave laid out? Um, I think that that's a beautiful question. That's really the question. Uh, for for the, our first example, when we talked about this, this process person, have I set them up to fail? And the answer is yes. You gave them a system that was not well thought out, that had no um, flexibility to it, that didn't really accomplish exactly what you wanted. And now you're penalizing them for following it. You've absolutely set them up to fail. So that's that's on you as a leader. Stephanie said clear expectations. You know, Does this person know what, it, what we're trying to do here? And that goes back to do they get it? And if they haven't gotten clear expectations, we haven't told them what it is or how they're being judged. I, don't, I think it's on us that they haven't got it. The last thing that I would say, and I would add this uh, when we're making a decision of, do we try to coach this person? Is this a, a place where we just need to, to, to cut bait? Is, is your core values. And, and without getting too deep into core values, does this person have a fundamentally different set of core values from you and your practice? And so, for example, if you have um, just so for one of the core values for me is is the client experience. I want the clients to have an amazing experience. You know, I want them. Uh, communication is so important. Like I want them to have a fantastic experience and, and, and focus on on the individual, the person at the end of the leash. That's a big, big deal for me. If I'm working with a veterinarian that goes, I don't like people. I don't give a crap about people. They're a waste of my time. That's a difference in core values, and we're probably never going to have a relationship that works and and we're probably going to undermine each other again and again and again so so check your core values. That's the last part for me that I kind of use in a is this person salvageable or 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 is this a person who needs to be liberated honestly to go find a better fit and <laughs> <I like that. laughs> So thought, thought, uh, thoughts on that? Am I off based on the core value piece or do you guys agree with that as well?
1: Core values are everything. Like I, 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 I really think that that is where you're get it. They, they fall right within that, that, that category there. And, and we, don't, we just don't spend, we spend virtually no time articulating what ours are uh, or asking or inquiring what somebody else's are in the process, you know, in, in the dating process that is hiring. Mm -hmm. Um, so it really, it should come as exactly no surprise that, that, that not just veterinary practices, but businesses generally are just, uh, you know, just a hot bed of people. Yes, a hot mess of people just pulling in all different directions and creating all this friction, um, within within those organizations like it just I just got off a call um, uh, with, with somebody who has been working in a practice that is delivering a very high net EBITDA like this is a this is a 20% um, EBITDA practice in a, you know in an area of the country I mean the area shouldn't matter too much it should, it should be possible in a well-run practice but with an owner who's hated the practice the last five years. You know, so so where's the cost where's the cost on that on on that you know getting that level of performance is possible but there's always a cost and and really I mean that's that's where vx was born is to like well, let's find a way where it works for everybody and i think values are are completely at the core of that
0: Steph you got any last words No i i think
2: i think you guys both summed it up i think i think there definitely is is a values conversation um, you know particularly the example in that way is is great because I think like Dave said in the beginning we're we're all here because we want to save the animals and as much as that makes us laugh because if I see it I swear to God on one more cover letter I just love animals i'm I, I might lose my mind but the truth is that we we're all here because we do care about the animals right and so euthanasia is one of those experiences for us in practice that you can't, you can't mess that up. Like that is the heart and soul of why we care about animals. And so that is a critical values conversation with that person is, do they have the ability to comprehend why this is a core values, um, a, a black mark against your core values or not? And if the answer is no, then there absolutely is no other choice but to say this person is, like Dave said, is, is poison, it's going to affect other areas of your practice. You, you just have to have the, the conversation and cut the ties.
0: Cool. All right, guys, Dave, uh, where can people find, uh, where can they find you? Where can they learn more about VETX? Uh,
1: if they want to find me, probably Instagram's the the place I hang out the most, so that's <laughs> at Dr. Dave Nicol, D-R-D-A-V-E-N-I-C-O-L, and if they want to find more about VETX, then vetxinternational.com is the place to go
0: cool all right great thanks
1: guys thank you thanks for having us this is fun
0: (laughs) (laughs) and that is our first show in the books wrapped up I hope you enjoyed it and maybe found it useful. If you are uh, if you like the Uncharted podcast, what you just heard, and you're super pumped about the future, please go ahead. It's never too early to jump on and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast so that your friends and colleagues in vet medicine can find us and will give us a chance. Also... If you're all about what you heard on this podcast, if you're like, oh my God, I never think about uh, my team members that way, and where has this been all of my career, if you're feeling that way, you probably need to be a part of the Uncharted community, so learn more about that at unchartedvet.com, you can register there for one of our ridiculously unique conferences, they're unlike anything you've ever experienced before, or Just join the online community that will cheer you on, pick you up, hold you accountable, and that refuses to let you fail. You can immerse yourself in the Uncharted world. It really is the conference that never ends. So check it out, unchartedvet.com. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. We'll see you soon.